This is Words That Move Me, the podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Master Mover, Dana Wilson. And if you're someone that loves to learn, laugh, and is looking to rewrite the starving artist story, then sit tight, but don't stop moving, because you're in the right place. Hello, 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 hello. How are you doing? How's everybody? Man, if you are like me, then these days are going by so quickly. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's um, just being inside and so many days are the same. Um, maybe it's that I'm filling my schedule every minute of it. Uh, but it's strange, this sensation of time passing and standing still all at the same time. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Um, this episode... Ah, I'm so excited for it. I'm so excited for you to listen to my guest today, Kat Burns. She is one of my favorite, well, people, period, but also one of my favorite choreographers. And she shares so much um, tremendously valuable insight in this episode. I'm jazzed about it. Uh, But before that, of course, we have to do a quick round of wins. My win this week is that I am becoming a person day by day, meal by meal. Uh, I am becoming a person that is confident in the kitchen. I'm having more fun and I'm having more creative freedom in the kitchen. And I think that's a win. It's something that for me has always been a kind of point of insecurity. Um, My husband traditionally is the cook of the household and I'm having so much fun uh, exploring a bit. Really digging that. Okay, so now you go. What's going well in your world? You might need a little bit more time, so I encourage you to pause right here if, if you're really, really winning, which I really, really hope you are. Um, but this episode is just, it's something else. We gotta get to it. We're jumping in. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Cat Burns. Yes, Cat Burns. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Woohoo. Oh, I love wees and woohoos and yays. It feels so good to smile. And I cannot not smile when I think Cat Burns. So, welcome to the podcast. Introduce yourself for those who may not know who you are, those fools. Those fools, those nincompoops. Um, people call me Cat Burns. I'm Catherine, uh, Catherine Burns, aka, you know, Cat Burns is my like cool choreo alias, I suppose, that <laughs> that is just kind of taken over. And I'm a choreographer, mostly for scripted comedies. Nice. Um, I really love intro- asking people to introduce themselves because it's sometimes a different story than what the bio would read. Um, uh, your bio leads with, and I think it should, okay. uh, your Emmys, your, your double, is it two? It's two, right? She's a two-timer. She sure is. Just, just a two-timer, a measly <laughs> two-time Emmy winner. Um, 
and I do think it's it's cool to like acknowledge the wins, but it also speaks a lot to you that you do not lead with the accolades, but rather with the work itself. And I love your body of work. I love it so much. I love it primarily because it's funny, but also because it's diverse. Um, can you talk a little bit about the range of work that you do and what is the difference between a digital or scripted format, or you do also a lot of live work. I know you came up through UCB. Like, what is the difference really truly when it comes to choreography between all those different formats? Oh, goodness. Well, I appreciate your kind words because, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. And <laughs> I believe I introduced myself on a street corner <laughs> on Hollywood Boulevard. And I was like, hi, hi. I'm such a fan. You guys are awesome. Do you want to do my UCB show? And you're like, what? Okay, great. <laughs> um, I recall. I recall. It's so funny. Do you? I do recall. I recall because I, well, it was a Seaweed Sisters related yeah. um, acknowledgement. And the Seaweed Sisters, uh, Jillian Myers, Megan Lawson, and myself, we don't get recognized outside of dancers very often. Um, and when we were not in a dance studio setting, we were literally on a street corner. Uh, so it, I, it, it made me feel like, oh my God, pay attention. This is happening. You guys, the Seaweed Sisters are a thing. We're being recognized. <laughs> this was like five years ago, I want to say. That was a while back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your fandom. We can, this is a safe place where we can absolutely be gushing over each other. So don't <laughs> let it stop. Um, but I am so curious about the different um, uh, places that your work lives. Yeah. So there's, it's a, it's a multifolded, I was going to say twofold, but it's a, you know, lots of folds type. Um, <laughs> origami. Or, origami fold of answers, if you will. Um, I, I think what's really fun about working in scripted comedy or scripted in general is that the choreography is always dependent on the scene. And so by default, I've been able to hire a lot of experts in a specific genre and then play within story, but still making it proper. Um, and so whether it be like a tango or a, a musical theater, traditional dance in the street vibe or a tap dance or a fill in the blank, or even just like specifics that are funny or trying to make like one of the tricky things was trying to make um like a viral video like you know how like videos mm -hmm. popular people like quote unquote dancing bad mm -hmm. like, why what's the tipping point like why is it popular and trying to like recreate those moments as a choreographer when you have two people it's like the note was like it's too good it's too good and i'm like it's not it's just like when you have two people dancing together in unison, it's automatically gonna seem more better. <laughs> more better, which is the word I like to use. Cause it's like, I don't like to say something's bad. I like to say it can be more better. It can be more better. <laughs> and you are the more better maker. Um, I think part of that recipe is definitely accessibility. Like you don't want to choreograph steps that only a trained dancer could do. So it's like every, every man dance. Um, and you do a good job at choreographing dance on uh, normal non-dancing type characters. I like to call them dance enthusiasts. Dance enthusiasts. That's way kinder than what I call them. I call them, I call them normies. Normies. That's cute. I just think it's Norm McDonald dancing when you say normies, which would be <laughs> that's great. Many Norm McDonalds, normies, <laughs> plural. <laughs> um, uh, so how many 
episodes of television would you say you have choreographed? Take a ballpark for me. Well, I actually did a show a year ago celebrating 100 because I was like, when I graduated college, people were like, what's your dream job? And I said, I wanted to choreograph for TV and film, but I have no idea how to do it. And, you know, I had to celebrate that because I was like, I guess I figured it out. Yeah, you did. And so you know, sometimes you got to celebrate little milestones because we can be so hard on ourselves on a daily basis that we're not doing enough or creating enough or being disciplined enough or whatever. Right. Girl, I am here for celebrating. Actually, I just started a new podcast habit. I start every episode with wins where I just talk a little bit about what's going well. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to have a thing uh, where I would keep champagne in the fridge because there was always going to be a reason to celebrate. Yes, I am about that life. And now, since we're in lockdown, you're going to need to keep at least five because you can't be leaving the house as often. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's back up a teeny tiny bit. You mentioned after college when they asked you that question and you answered, I want to choreograph TV and film, but you didn't know how. What was your next step? Uh. Well, it was more of like, that's a, that's a fantasy job. That doesn't really exist. Or, or not for you. Uh, right. Uh, so I worked in post-production for years and thought I could use my degree and be an editor. Uh, and I worked in post houses and like logged dailies and patched digi betas for recording, like copied editors reels over and was just like in the machine room learning about editing. And the more responsibility I got, the more anxious I got. But I started, you know, I studied film in college and um, so I was already doing that. And then, you know, you talked about the difference between scripted and stage. And then I started at UCB right when they opened their doors, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like I was working next door at the clothing shop um, when they went door to door to meet their neighbors. And I was like changing and I stuck my foot out and I was like, oh, I'll be right with you. <laughs> and my mom was in town and was like, hi, welcome to Native. I was like, she doesn't work here. I'll be right out. And, um, and they were like, you're in. <laughs> I, I mean, they were like, you're funny. You should take internships. And I was like, great. And then I just started being a part of that community, like from the ground floor. And so I learned the art of choreographing for a script in a way to like heighten the joke without distracting. And I was already, I like, got a dance agent. I was taking OCL's hip hop class. Yes. After like six months of living in LA. So I got the agent. I was dancing sporadically, doing like showgirly type musical theater, tall girl jobs. Ah. And realized quickly that I was much taller than everyone else in LA. The Tiny. Men, we're all micro types. Yeah. They move so fast. How do they get down to the floor in one count? <laughs> <laughs> Tiny legs. Uh, Tiny legs. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I, I, I still have my bevel, you know, you got to have a sensible walk and a good bevel if you're tall. Oh, you must, you, you have to have a sensible bevel no matter what I would argue, but definitely <laughs> if you're tall. Yeah. Um, okay. I want, I want to branch in a hundred different directions. I am taking notes. Uh, but I go very frazzled. I didn't even answer your first question. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you did. We talked a little bit about formats and the places that your work lives, which is on 160 episodes of television primarily, but also on stages because you do that. Yeah. And I just did a, a musical here in LA and I, I've done like comedy musicals in LA, and, uh, which obviously like, stage is is much more collaborative I think is the biggest difference right you have the writers in the room sometimes or you have the director in the room and you have the actors in the room and you have time and you're playing and you're creating I mean obviously like a UC base a UCB schedule is like learn it do it done it's very 
quick. And well, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Your dress rehearsal is often the performance because no one's getting paid and it's a learning, learning curve. But I just did this musical with a wonderful New York team. The musical was called Found and we did it at, um, it's I Am a Theater Company's musical. It was her first ever done at the LA Theater Group and it got closed, you know, three weeks before it was supposed to finish. And it was a New York team um, and they were so collaborative and awesome. And I was like, oh, this is what process is. You get to actually create in a room with creatives. Yes. I find that on television schedules, you're often trying to get into the minds of creatives. Like you're each department head's given a specific ask very, very quickly. And within like a 10 minute or less creative conversation, you have to then go off, do your work, present it, change it on the fly if it needs to be changed and be like, this is what I think you want. And from all your references, I deduced, deduced, deduced. Anyways, I did dance. Decided this was the dance, pretty much. <laughs> um, uh, okay, that's fascinating. So a difference between stage and film being the amount of time you have, and the people that are part of these creative conversations. Yeah, I think I think everyone's process is different. I mean, I think a lot of choreographers, and this also totally depends on the budget of the show. Like if it has a budget for rehearsals and the choreographer can have a skeleton crew, they can kind of like massage the choreography and change it and get it to a way and have a few days and have a process. But if you're like hired for two days, you have one day of rehearsal slash prep slash casting slash creative slash whatever. And the next thing you know is you're on set trying to like lead this dance with a bunch of people you just met. So you're also trying to figure out their personalities and how not to step on toes, but also deliver your dance, be professional, be fast, be pleasant, <laughs> and, you know, protect the dance and protect the dancers, but also serve the story and serve the process of that that is making television. Okay. I had to jump out right there because that all just happened real, real fast. And I want to make sure that you all caught all of that. Kat just gave a light speed masterclass in what it means to be a choreographer. Yes, we decide what the dance is, but then we must lead the dance or teach the dance. And occasionally that's to people that we've never met we have to navigate so many personalities, not just the dancers, but the entire teams. Then we have to protect the dancers, of course, meaning looking out for their working conditions and making sure they're taking breaks and well taken care of, etc. But also, we've got to be fast. And I mean, we don't have to be, but it really helps if you're pleasant or easy to get along with. And then, of course, there's the whole serving the story and serving the big machine that makes the TV show or the stage show or the music video or the fill in the blank. I think it's super important to remember, especially for the young aspiring choreographers, that being a choreographer means so much more than making up the steps. Okay, let's get back into it. Kat and I talked about the many hats that she wears, the many jobs that she's had, and the thoughts that led her to become an Emmy-winning choreographer. What was the um, what was the step or the chasse or the kickball change that took you from editing room to uh, dance studio or choreography? I guess. Um, I was always that kid that did a million things so differently. Like 
when I was young, it was like soccer, student da 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 da, every dance class imaginable. I was always booked, right? Like I my and I would like highlight all of my times that like college thing happened and like the idea as an adult to just do one thing stressed me out and made me so anxious. I felt like I was making like like signing a death sentence of being like I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life, and I was super scared. Um, so I think a lot of times I just did a bunch of side jobs just that I wasn't working towards a career necessarily. Mm. Like I, I went, I went, I went to college. I thought state school was supposed to be the thing that you do. And I was like such a rule follower that I had a hard time listening to myself. And people were like, I, I remember like the advice being like, what do you think about when you're at a stoplight? And I was like, <laughs> oh, choreography. Like I, I'm always making up things in my head. And even when I was like bored at concerts, I would just zone out because I'm like, no one's dancing. This is boring. And I would like choreograph something in my head and I would feel better. And I just realized if I wasn't dancing or moving, I was sad. And I, and I honestly feel that a lot currently with what we're going through. And like, I'll feel such ang angst for the world and my heart will be so heavy. And then I'll, I've been just dancing in my studio for hours on end because it's the only thing that makes me feel relief and joy. Um, so I, I think, I think I, I worked in post. I thought I wanted to be an editor. I had a million side jobs. I was a Paramount page. And then I would like work at a steakhouse and like I served. I, well, when I first graduated college, I thought I was gonna be a Rockette. I made it through all of the, uh, the cuts and stuff and then they just never called. Uh, so, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I'm so glad they didn't <laughs> because we got to have you instead. I, I get that dream though. Oh my gosh. And that audition process is brutal. Congratulations. Holy smokes. It was my first professional audition ever, ever. And then at the end of the audition, um, this is the second day they're taking all my measurements. And I said, I just wanted to let y'all know this was my first audition and you were so nice. And she was like, Oh really? Oh, is it? Okay. I had a four by six picture. I just didn't know. I went to the University of Missouri. I didn't do like, I never went to New York for a summer or anything. I hadn't ever taken from like professionals ever, actually. I love this. That's such a, a great example of all the grooming in the world doesn't ensure that you will get your foot in the door. And at the same time, you can be totally ungroomed and come through the side door or the back door and do phenomenally well. Yeah. I mean, I envy all the people that had all this, this massive education and like mine was just like the local dance studio or the dance team. And that was that. And I just was always dancing in my room or like at the time it was recording VHSs and learning the dance for Britney Spears, you know, or whatever. Studying for exams while watching Cats, the VHS recording of the Broadway show. I mean, duh. All right. Jumping out again. This time I had to do it because I think it's very, very interesting that the thought of doing one thing made Kat anxious and propelled her into doing so many seemingly odd jobs. That really stands out to me because to so many people, there's contentment in doing one thing, in having one career, in having their job. I think that a lot of people out there would actually feel anxious at the thought of doing all the many things that Kat did, from serving steaks and working retail to working as a Paramount page. Um, pages, by the way, uh, give tours and direct guests and do a great number of tasks on the Paramount lot. Um, 
But dang, she she even worked in an editing bay. I guess what's so special to me about Kat and about her journey is that, at least from the outside looking in, all of those experiences gave or refined the skills that made her a great choreographer. Yes, like the dance, the passion, the love of movement and moving has always been there for her. It always brought tremendous joy. But what brought success was the combination of that love of dance plus her many, many unique skills and experiences. Let's jump back in and hear about the one moment, well, the one heartbreak that changed the way Kat thought about being a choreographer. It took a heartbreak. Uh, I was with I was with someone for eight years, my whole entire twenties, and when that ended, I was so heartbroken that I had no choice but to make myself happy. Mm. And that was after I'd been doing UCB classes. I like danced at Christmas times. I had like dance gigs, and I was still doing a million jobs, but. There was something about that timing that I was so desperately sad. Like he kind of was my whole life. And when that ended, I was like, it was a very clear change of thought. I had been doing this uh, musical that I choreographed and was in called Freak Dance, The Dirtiest Forbidden Boogaloo at UCB. Matt Besser wrote it. (laughs) The premise of it is like, whoever dares dance nastiest wins. And it was like a spoof of all the dance flicks and like the white girl learns how to be poor so she can be a good dancer. They Ah. lose the community center and then they have to do this dance battle and they make just enough money to win back the community center. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) I'm so So, glad that exists. (laughs) We did it every Friday for two and a half years at UCB. And then one day they were like, we're making this into a movie. And we all thought we would get replaced by everyone bigger and better. The only person that got replaced was the 20 year old playing the mom and she was replaced by Amy Poehler. So like that makes sense. Um, And right around the time of this breakup, I was filming this movie and they had asked me to like storyboard what some of the dance numbers would look like. And I was like, I'm not an artist, but I knew it. And there was, there was a something called work that butt. And I was like, well, what if there was like a butt flower from overhead and it was like butts coming in at like an, like encapsulated her and then she had this reveal and was a different outfit but I like storyboarded what like these two they couldn't afford anyone else is also the, <laughs> also the um so that was my first job and I was also in it and I also didn't have an assistant so it was crazy and we shot it all in 13 days it was an original movie musical the original music with the non-dancers as leads and like Drew Drogi is one of my favorite comedians, is one of the stars, Hal Rudnick. They were like the two world's best dancers. Mm-hmm. And then we hired, the best was obsessed with America's best dance crew. So we hired like Quest crew and Beat Freak. <gasps> um, anyways, um, so like all of these comedians were like dance and dancing in front of all of these crews. And I'm just there heartbroken. And I had this epiphany that I was like, oh, I thought my whole life was supposed to be love and appreciation from this one person. And if they weren't there, I would crumble. And I quickly said to the cast, I was like, I love you guys so much and I need you guys so much. So that was a pivotal moment for me as a creative to have experiences with the people I was having camaraderie with at the time. My coworkers were my family. 
and I would experience and be alive with all of this creative camaraderie that got me through a dark time. And it was just, it's kind of stuck, it's kind of stuck with me. Like I, I really, I really feel fortunate that I'm able to like dive into a project with an open heart because I truly look at my collaborators. I mean, you, like we've gotten to know each other through working together and I have so much love for you, but we haven't hung out separate of doing something together really. I mean, like maybe a few times, but it's always like, let's do a job, let's get a glass of wine. Great, I see you, we're working together. I'm gonna like suck up as much yummy hang time as I can, because yes. I don't know when I'll get this chance again, because we're both right. busy, that's the way LA is. Everybody has something next, you know? Well, that is the way LA was, my friend. People are still like, oh, I can't. I've got to Zoom at two or, oh, I can't. I still, oh, I, for I, sure. I said 11.30 this morning and I was like, can we do four? <laughs> <laughs> can we push back? Kat and I talked for a while about the way that LA and the entertainment industry are, uh, maneuvering through this COVID crisis. But the radio waves are pumped and coursing with that talk. And there's just so much other goodness to come in this episode. I thought I might just leapfrog over that, if you don't mind, and skip ahead to my favorite video submission ever and the importance of good lip syncing. <laughs> because why not? When you get an audition submission request from your agent for a Cat Burns project, you go all in because working for you is such a treat. Really, oh. truly. I, I'm a sucker for a lovely process. So I got this audition notification and I was like, oh yeah, I can do this. It's asking for a doo-wop style background singer and she's singing to her mom. Um, I happened to be in Denver at the time that I got this notification and it was with my mom and it was in my sister's gorgeous house. And I was like, okay, this is, this is a no brainer. So I taught my sister the shots and she filmed it for me. And I lightly choreographed this thing with just like a shunne here and a hip hip here. Nothing like crazy because I had watched the show before and it's never um it's never meant to be the like uh sit down and watch this dance. It's like you could do this dance. Get up and do this dance. <laughs> I like that you're male that you're male. It's like awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here he comes down the middle there and he's it and he's gone. Like <laughs> it was a sidebar side side thought of mine to be a dance commentator for dance YouTube videos in yeah, that, that same be. in that same voice. Okay, so made made the uh, audition submission, sent it in, and I don't remember if you texted me directly or if my agent did, but you were like, "That is obnoxious and hysterical, and will you assist me on this project?" Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> It was so fun. It was also cool to get my family a peek into my world, right? Like uh, audition submissions happen or happened pretty regularly. And in a very, like in a three hour turnaround, I'm expected or asked to create a, th create a thing, memorize the lines, make up the moves, capture it, edit it, and submit it. And so they got to be there for that. That was super fun. And oh, then- good about your video too is like a lot of times you know as much as I say like it, I want good acting 
the lip syncing is really important. Like I trust that dancers can nail a dance step, right? Mm -hmm. But it's really important to me is, is how you're emoting. Do I see you as this like 1960s, like, you know, shuwada dancer? Um, and you totally embodied that character. Uh. And the lip syncing is really important. Like um, I had an audition for Carly Rae Jepsen and it was, um, we're holding an audition for her. And it was like two backup singers that were dancing. And so in the audition, I was like, you guys, you're moving your heads too much. Like, you'll never believe that they're singing into a mic. Like, mm. you have to, like, actually pretend like you're singing into the mic. Um, don't, you have to, it's a strange thing to, like, not whip your hair around. Because a lot of times dancers really aren't that focused on their, on being the star and being seen. And, like, yeah. we kind of whip our hair around our face and, like, make some sexy faces, but it's not really about the face, you know? Right. I have this theory that where dancers are um, attractive, not necessarily because we're good looking, but because movement attracts your eye. Like if you imagine a jungle setting and a bush rustles over here, your eye goes to that. And I think dancers have gotten really, or the good ones anyways, have gotten good about being attention getting when they need yeah. to and just the right amount of rustle versus being distracting. And especially if you're in a tight shot, moving your head around is distracting. And it's, as you mentioned, very plainly, not the way that background singers would do it. Um, that's a great consideration. I think it's an important skill and maybe we don't spend enough time on it. Totally. <laughs> and you also... The, the why it's hard is that to believably be a good lip singer, you have to sing out loud. Mm -hmm. So your breath is different. So Ooh. although it looks like an easy dance, when you're actually singing out loud, the, the, the beats are counterintuitive to like, like the pickups of the lyrics are gonna be before the one. And it's tricky to get your brain around the lyrics and have your body do what the music is doing as you're acting and singing out loud and thinking about your breath. You can't just breathe through your nose and make whatever weird sounds you need to make to get through the aggression of the dance. For so it's sure. It's a much different skill. I came across this issue uh, a handful of times, uh, like hands full, like multiple hands, like NBA <laughs> basketball player hands full of times working on In the Heights where we had huge groups of dancers, a part of musical numbers, but we weren't the people that recorded the vocals. We weren't the people right. that, um, you know, not all 150 of them have the script. You know, it, for a chunk of time during rehearsal, we would sit down with pages and learn the lyrics. But even that is expected to happen quite quickly. And not a lot of dancers have the same memory for words that we have for moves. Mm -hmm. So it, it really is a special skill. I suggest that everybody listening to this podcast right now, pick a a, a movie musical moment, whether it's La La Land opening number or anything from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, mm -hmm. challenge yourself, give yourself, how much would, how much time would you say is allocated to learning lyrics for an episode of Crazy Ex? When we did the tap number, um, the prescription one, mm -hmm. it wasn't that long. I want to say that was like maybe 30 minutes. Well, probably like it was like 30 minutes, the top of rehearsal. And I've actually had an, I had a big audition in New York. Um, there's a really great show out now called uh, Dispatches from Elsewhere. It's Jason Siegel's new show on AMC. Oh, sweet. And um, I, I worked on the finale number and they're singing and dancing, spoiler alert. Um, and I had to just teach the lyrics real fast because people saying the lyrics was as important as the dancing. There was this really amazing dancer. And then I looked back at my video because I don't like making cuts. So I just filmed everybody. <laughs> uh -huh. 
I really want to see everybody. I want to properly give everyone a chance to be seen by me because I don't come to New York. And I don't have auditions much. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, he was like, I was like booked. And then I looked and I was like, he didn't lip sync a word. And on most of the jobs I do, dancers get FaceTime. Like they yeah. make close-ups and yeah. like, oh. And um, so so for antidepressants, and it was all it was all like fluoxetine, fluoxetine. Our lawyers won't let us say brand names. Like it was very tricky vernacular. Yes. Like medical terms on top yes. of that. Medical terms, you get it. Pills, <laughs> pills terms. Um, but we had we had a we had one day of rehearsal, so you could like overnight rehearse it. That's but true. Then, I remember. But then on the day, Rachel changed. She changed the lyrics. So what's tricky is that you had to learn it and then on the day after you've been practicing i think she said change the name of the dog and then change this lyric we'll re-record it in post so you guys had to say lyrics out loud this was what was 30 minutes or less you had to say lyrics out loud that did not match the audio you were hearing all while doing super super fast tap dance and then staying in line and it was like super precision based and like you're high you're a little high here on your airplane arm, you need to be a little bit lower. Yes, then we're taking in all of the, you know, the movement notes that we're used to, but there's also not just the learning of the lyrics, but the unlearning of the old lyrics and then the relearning of the new lyrics. This is great. Really, truly, if you're listening, make that an additional challenge. If you're listening, you're listening, you're listening. If you're hearing, <laughs> um, then yeah, try to learn a thing in 30 minutes and then change it, but don't change the thing that you're playing back. <laughs> that song right. has to stay the same. Your lyrics change. Oh my gosh. Hoops. And the timing very slightly. And then you for shot. It's like you have to adjust your timing and your blocking based on what the steady cam operator's doing. Right. Or or at any point in time, the showrunner who's who a showrunner is basically the one that hires all of the writers. They're like the head, they don't you only say head writer, but they're the one who like keeps the tone of the show in general, you know, on the right track and everything. And they're the one that sold the show in general. But at any point they can come in and say, why are you doing this? Or, or like, um, or like for that number, it was like, as you guys were holding, I like added a, like a little, a little bop. Yeah. It. Yeah. And then, um, it's just constantly finding it until you like, for me, it's like playing until you find what makes you laugh. You're like, oh, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Okay, do that. And then, and then at any point, someone can say, no, don't bounce. And so you've just been rehearsing it with the bounce. And something as simple as that, like your body wants to bounce, but you can't. Um, <laughs> tricky. I don't know. It's tricky. And then, and then one of my favorite things to like hark on, hark, harp, harp, whatever. You look that up as I finish this this tale of woes. But basically, like once it's cut. The end of that, she goes, um, basically, she's like, oh, you guys are, oh, you don't want to dance anymore? Oh, okay. Like, going from dancer to pedestrian and a snap. <gasps> oh, like, that's one of my favorite things to do. Don't walk like a dancer. Like, it's hard because we do that in real life. Yes. Like, I, I act sporadically. And um, I was in a commercial, and I had to walk to the elevator, and I was wearing heels. And they were like, um, excuse me, Catherine, you're like standing like pretty because i was like <gasps> beveling i <laughs> just like couldn't help it you're like so, it's my oh, it's my rocket in me i just like can't you know like when we're in heels and we're in like a tight skirt as a dancer you walk differently naturally so i had to be like oh i have to ditch how i naturally walk and walk pedestrian 
just go to the elevator. Like for, don't dance walk to the elevator. Don't sit in your hip pretty. Just oh. pretend like you don't know how to walk in heels as well. <laughs> oh, I love this. It's actually for me kind of difficult to navigate the middle ground between like dancing like a pro dancer, like JT backup dancer, pro dancer, and dancing like a non-dancer that moves well, and then dancing goofy. Like uh, your your UCB show right now, Raggle Taggle Dance Hour, which I do want to give the floor to for a second because it's amazing. We did an opening number, which I want you to talk about, give a little context. Um, but I watched the footage back and I looked at myself. I was like, dude, you were bad dancing. And that's not the goal. The, the goal is actually to be dancing really well, but not mm. to be a dancer. And so that's another layer of intricacy. Yeah. I think, I think that's what... I've found with my work, it's like, it's, it's easy, not easy, hard, not hard, but we're properly living in a world, right? So like the reference for this number was the pink, Mr. Emu's Pink Windmill Kids or something. It's like an oh. Australian 80s dance show. We're going to link it because it's, it's, it's a game changer. So I, the end of season one, wanted the cast of Crazy X to recreate this video. And I had the costume department hand dye sweats to match the color palette of the early 80s. <laughs> this is what we call full out. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously everyone was like tired or busy. And so they've just been sitting in my storage for four years. Um, but the, costume, the, the costumes are the people that were tired. <laughs> the, the, the costume department. The costume department was in my basement, just ready to go whenever. They were very expensive to keep, but it was worth it at the end. Um, but we did the, we recreated the opening video finally, and my dream came true. And it's like, feel like, like the, why it's so funny and enjoyable is because they are trying to hit it so hard, these little children. And it happens to be sloppy and fast, but like you have to go for it with the gusto and energy of like, this is the best thing anyone's ever seen. And it's like 80s, you just have to hit really hard. Also like 90s hip hop. Ooh, same. You have to hit it so hard that your every bone hurts. And it doesn't yes. look like much or just punching, but like, whew, there's a difference. Um, so you have to hit it with full exuberance. <laughs> there is a difference. It so shows. Okay, <laughs> I want to talk about something you just, you mentioned. Um, I, well, blah, 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 words. So I wanted to ask, how do you do funny? But I think you've already answered my question. When you're talking about the Crazy X episode uh, with the pharmaceutical drugs and we're just sitting there bopping, like hands on knees, just bopping. And you said, you just play with something until it makes you laugh. Is that mm -hmm. your general approach to humor and dance? Kind of. I mean, and, and even like in a good way, I, I, I've said this before, but like, um, I think if a lot of times when I approach my work, like, if it wasn't funny, it'd be cool. Mm. You know, like we're trying to like properly live in a genre. And a lot of times it, it feels a bit like a, a puzzle piece in my brain for a while. So like, I, it's important for me to know the tone of a show and to know what their funny is. Like I worked on Workaholics and their village is much different than the Crazy X village. What they find funny and their sense of humor. I mean, comedy is also super relative, just like dance. There's like a wide array of good dancing and what you think is good, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times a script is like, like Fosse. And you're like, but what about Fosse are they referencing to? Do they 
do they want it to be hypersexual? Do they want it to be awkward? Because like when I think about Fosse, it's like, well, he's, you know, he did like, he, he was inverted. He had, he had musicality that matched his movements. You know what I mean? So it's like trying to find what it is about that reference that they like. So you kind of have to like get in the brains of the reference and then play within it. And, and then for me, it's like, because I've studied comedy and I've spent my whole childhood watching movie musicals and things like it's, um, I don't know. There's like a, there's a, there's a good or bad or creative process. You have to like know when to put the pencil down, I guess. So for me, it's like finding it. And then sometimes like in crazy X, we kind of found this thing of like, ew, gross. Okay. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And you kind of have to push the envelope. I mean, there was like S&P issues too, standards and practices. So for a network show, you can't just create whatever you want. It has to be approved. And West Side Story is super particular and has like legislation against you doing like exact choreography. Same with Fosse Foundation. Wow. So, but you know, choreographers don't own their work and aren't unionized. So, you know, that's <gasps> fine. Cat Burns, enter, enter Cat Burns, the, the organizer. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if we would get to this point, and I know that not everybody listening is a choreographer, but I do think that this is really important to everyone in creative fields, no matter what they are. Uh, choreographers right now, specifically a, an organization called Choreographers Alliance, which is a non-union organization, are working really, really hard to win choreographers sag after contracts for our work. Because unlike everybody else on a TV film or digital set, choreographers do not have the protection of those union contracts, which means no healthcare, no pension, and no residual structure. Yeah. <laughs> um, no minimum hours worked. Uh or yeah. overtime or or anything like that. So Kat is a staple in the community that's working to win us an agreement that would support us in that way. Thank you so much. Of course. I mean, um, it, just, it just seems like it needs to happen. Everyone else, literally everyone else on set, unless you're in an assistant role, has union protection. And then they have it for STC, which is Stage Directors and Choreographers Guild. So for Broadway shows, Vegas shows, some touring shows, they get a royalty every time their work is used. They own their work. They can, you know, that's obviously not going to happen necessarily in TV because it's called a work for hire clause if you're a freelancer um, and writers as well. Like, but if, if they use their work again, they have to pay them. Um, and if you have a union, then let's say dirty dancing, right? Like that's been like Kenny Ortega's work has been used so many times and he's never made any money past that. Same with Vince Patterson from Smooth Criminal. Like, we create, like how easy would it be to be like, oh, we're going to use this choreography. We're not going to hire Kenny because he's off directing in Canada. We're going to pay him X amount of money, just like you would a song. And, and, then the, and then like they can just take the exact choreography and never pay the choreographer anything. It's so broken. We, it's we so broken. It, but we did it. And it's about celebrating the wins, as you say. Right. Um, I was asked to recreate Christine and the Queen's music video, Tilted. Work. With my favorite. It's one of my favorites. For, so good. For better things for season one. And the reason why I was asked is because I work with, you know, non-dancers. And they and it was it was the whole family. It was the mom, the grandmother, and the two daughters that put on a performance for you. I don't want to ruin it if you haven't seen the end of season one. I haven't, and I'm gonna I'm writing it down right now. That sounds fascinating. I already, you already know what's coming, but it's okay. okay. It'll still be emotional and beautiful. And I said, they were like, we already got the rights to the music and everything. And I was like, well, did they pay the choreographer? And the awesome line producer was like, well, let me look into it. 
versus saying we've already paid, but um, they actually paid the choreographer for the usage of that work. Um, but that was a big win. They they paid the choreographer. And I said, you have to credit. Because, yes. Like, there, is no, there is no union. Like, I wouldn't get credit. And then the person who originally choreographed it wouldn't get credit, right? Like, they can right. do whatever they want. But I said, the original choreographer, Mary, and I was like, you have to say originally choreographed by and then, like, adapted by me because it's not my choreography, but I was hired as, quote, unquote, the choreographer. But I mean, I just think it's interesting because now people are doing, like, TikTok videos and they understand the currency of dance. And, like, even in this time, we're giving away our work for free. We're teaching classes for free. We're trying to help the community. But, like, you know, this is how people make their money. Ah. I, I, I do want to dig into more of those technical issues and I want to celebrate you going to bat for an instance like that, which I'm sure happens all the time. And I'm sure that choreographers who uh, maybe don't have as much experience or aren't as impassioned about the subject as you are, wouldn't even know to ask if that had happened. So I'm really glad that you spoke about that. I think that's super important. And choreographers definitely have asked me, like, even what should my minimum rate be? So like, if you're getting a job and you don't know what to ask or even how to run a set or anything, like reach out to someone that you know that's working if you don't have an agent yourself. And then also I think it's important that we ask those harder questions. Like, People are only going to give you what you fight for. They're, you know, otherwise they'll just take advantage. And also to know when to back off. I have a solid rule of threes. Like I'll ask something like three different ways just to make sure that they, I was heard. And then the answer the third time is still no. I go, okay, well, I at least tried. <laughs> Here we go. I at least tried thrice. Yeah. Man, I, I really wish we had more time to dig into all of these lovely icebergs that we just saw the tip of, but I think that there will be time for that, and I hope that people will go find you, find more of you. Um, you've done a handful of podcasts as well. I think that you can be found yeah. in, this, in this audible world as well. Uh, what other podcasts have you jammed on? Um, totally unorganized. Uh, uh, oh, and then Heather and Ava's. Yes, one. the dance room. Yeah, the dance room. And then there's been, a, oh, the Bigfoot Club. My friend Michael McMillan has a, has a podcast about um, about Bigfoot. <laughs> so I have a lot of non, non-dance related content <laughs> that. And then my mom and I did a podcast for my friend's uh, beauty, beauty vegan podcast called Natch Butte. Oh. She's a passionate vegan and finds women-owned businesses through beauty and beauty's not my world so my mom was really good at being the guest I was just there to be made fun of pretty much which I'm fine you were the link you were the link between the worlds um well thank you beyond for being my guest today and for sharing so freely all of your wisdom and humor and insights and tips about lip syncing you know there is not a podcast for that yet Thank you so much for being here. High five across the screen. Great. I think we missed. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You're, you're doing such a good job. Oh, I so appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thought you were done? No. Now I'm here to remind you that all of the important people, places, and things mentioned in this episode can be found on my website, thedanawilson.com slash podcast. Finally, and most importantly, now you have a way to become a Words That Move Me member. So kickball changeover to patreon.com slash WTMM podcast to learn more and join. All right, everybody. Now I'm really done.
Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.